Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7 in Psalm 25 as we continue our series through this one psalm over the course of eight weeks where we are learning with David. David finds himself going through difficult, dark circumstances that are beyond his control. We're calling that chaos. Finds himself in chaos, and he needs and is looking for and finds help. He finds the grace of Christ in the grip of chaos. And so we want to learn to do that as well because we all face difficulty, pain, tribulation, chaos. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. Sometimes we're victims. We're going to learn, and we've been learning with David. Today, we're focusing on verses 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is good. You are good. And we are asking you again, Lord, to teach us what we don't know or to remind us of what we tend to forget. We pray, God, that uh, as we lift up our souls to you today, that we would find the grace and the help that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we all know what it's like to, uh, to be picked on or to be hurt by mean people, right? We, you, you've encountered mean people before, I, I assume, right? We've all encountered mean people. If it's mean people that I don't know, like sometimes in life you just might be in a situation, there's a stranger there, and they're being mean to you, it doesn't bother me. I kind of like it. I kind of like the strange, the strange person who is mean to me because it's funny. Like, okay, let's talk about it. I will want to talk to them about why they're being mean. I'll do it with a smile. It's fun. We'll argue about it even. Like, that's fine. But that, 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 maybe that freaks you out a little bit. But what really hurts, right, really hurts is if somebody's mean to you eh, that you have a relationship with. Maybe it's a, a sibling or a family member or a friend or a coworker, student, peer. That can be painful. It can be awkward. But you know it's just as painful as somebody thinking about you and hating you is somebody not thinking about you at all to be forgotten. That hurts, right? To be forgotten, to be neglected in a sense, right? At least among those people that we expect to be, want to be remembered, to be forgotten is to be nothing to them, at least in that moment, right? To be zero, to be a ghost. And in chaos, right, we learned last week that chaos creates questions. It rises, raises lots of questions, right, when things are difficult and hard and, you're, and God seems to be quiet or distant. And so we start asking these questions like, where are you, God? What are you doing, God? And one of the questions that David raises here in verses 6 and 7 is, God, have you forgotten me in all of this? Now, we know that God doesn't forget right? We know that God knows, but it's, there's more to it than that. And so here's the principle that I want us to get, and then we're going to look at this, in, uh, this passage in the context of three separate pleas, P-L-E-A-S, pleas, right? Or prayers. All right, so here's the principle for all of us to lay hold of. What God thinks of you defines you. 
So make no mistake, um, God doesn't forget you. He knows you. He thinks of you. And what he thinks of you defines you. It is who you are. And we'll look at this in three pleas, right? The pleas that we have here in verses 6 and 7. Lord, remember your mercy. Lord, forget my sin. And third, Lord, remember me. These are beautiful and lay at the heart of the gospel and our relationship with God. First, Lord, remember your mercy. It's right there in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they are from of old. It's another way of saying these are eternal. These are connected to your very being, connected to your very nature. This is who you are, so this is my appeal that you would remember your mercy. But remember, like God forgets. Like, this is a song. This is David. David understands that God is eternal and unchanging in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And because he is eternal, he does not change. That means what he knows, he does not forget. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. But yet he says, Lord, would you remember your mercy? Remember. Just point of clarity for everybody in Proverbs 15, verse 3. We read, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He knows all, right? But the question comes up, right? Is God forgetting me? That question comes up. Is God remembering? Is God present? Is he doing something? This question comes up when we don't hear from God, right? Sometimes God seems silent, doesn't he? I mean, we have his word. We always have the Bible. Here is God's perfect word. It is flawless and beautiful and life-giving and life-changing, it imparts wisdom. But experientially, it can feel like God's quiet sometimes. Maybe you read the Bible, and it's just not connecting. Or you're praying, and you're, God's not answering. And when someone is quiet, when we don't hear from somebody, it's oftentimes a fair question. Did they forget? Did they forget? Did they forget about me? The parents know the horror of this, right? You need to pick up your kid after the game or after the dance, and you forgot. And then you remember. And then you remember you're a loser for, remember, for forgetting. Like, I forgot to pick up my kid. You feel so bad. If you have a heart at all, you feel so terrible. Because the last thing you want is your kid standing there in the rain, obviously, in the rain by themselves, while all the other kids are getting picked up by their parents who love them and care for them. And then there's your kid, like, holding the bag and just all by himself. Nobody's remembered me. We feel terrible in that moment because we don't want them to think that we don't care. We have small lapses like that, perhaps. But some kids, some kids, some kids are actually forgotten by their parents. I mean, they're around, but the kids are not in the minds of the parents. Some parents are neglectful in that way, and it's a kind of abuse. It's painful. So when you don't hear from somebody, it's fair. It's like, well, they, did they forget, right? People forget things. And sometimes God is quiet, so we're wondering, well, does, does God, is God here? Is he present? And the, the first plea here is, Lord, remember your mercy. He's not trying to remind God as if God has forgotten something. He is appealing to God to do the things that he has promised he will do, to act in accordance with his nature. He is asking God for the help that he needs, and it's in accordance with who God is. He's basically saying, Lord, God, everything I know about you, you've told me, right? So everything I know about you, I'm appealing to that. You are a God of mercy. Lord, remember your mercy. Mercy. Mercy is 
Well, it's an expression of God's love, right? That's what it is. That doesn't tell you what it is, really. But whatever it is, it's coming from love. It's an expression of it, a demonstration of it. Uh, Listen to Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. For the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God is a God of mercy. That mercy is connected to his love. We always see that even here in verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. It's an expression of love. More specifically, but still generally, mercy is kindness. Mercy is kindness. It's help. To say, God, remember your mercy, David is saying, God, please be kind to me. Be merciful to me. Help me in my need. It's help that is undeserved. And we can be even more specific, right? Because a lot of theologians want to be, and I I like this, a lot of theologians will make the distinction between grace and mercy. They can be synonymous, but you can also sort of parse it out. And, and grace, more specifically, God's grace would be what God gives to us that we don't deserve, like eternal life, his son Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, and so on. What God gives to us that we don't deserve is grace. Mercy is what God withholds from us that we do deserve, judgment justice, eternal death. And here the psalmist is pleading with God for help, for mercy, because if God is not merciful, there is no help for him. He's in it, and it's, it's rough. So he's appealing to the only one who can help. He can't control what's going on, so he's appealing to God. And if God isn't merciful, there is no hope for him. But here's here's the great, the great news. God is a merciful God, and he invites the undeserving to come and get their fill of his mercy. It's not come and take it. It's come and receive it. For example, Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's exactly what David is doing. In his time of need and desperation and pain and discouragement, maybe even doubt, he appeals to God for the mercy that he knows God loves to give, not because we have earned it or are worthy of it, but because God is that good So the plea is, God, remember your mercy, because from his mercy, we find the help that we need. Second, the plea is, forget my sin. This is in verse 7, just the first part there. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. So forget my sin. Don't remember these. So remember who you are. Please don't remember who I am. That's what he's saying in a sense, right? 
Remember your mercy, forget my sin. Forget the thing that has not just marked me, but marred me. Forget the thing that makes me less human than you have intended me to be. Forget, remove the thing. Don't think about the thing. Please don't see that part of me that is an affront to you and an offense to you. That's, that's the request. You know, and people are like, well, God, God, God knows everything. There is never a time when God doesn't know what you've done. Right. God always knows. God knows everything. That's why he's asking. Some of you know a lot of my sins. All of you know some of my sins. None of you know all of my sins, right? That's true for all of us. God knows them all. God knows every secret. God knows every mistake. God knows every wrong, willful choice. He knows them all. That's why he is the one to whom David is saying, Lord, please do not remember all of these sins. And there's no excuses. David says, don't remember my sins in my youth. We'll start with that. Those are embarrassing enough. Even though those are the ones we're probably likely to give people a pass on. Oh, you were, oh, you were a kid. What do you know? You're a dumb kid. Kids don't know anything. Kids do dumb things all the time. Boys will be boys. We use that as an excuse for kids to do all kinds of crazy things. He's like, no, what I did when I was young and ignorant was still wrong, and I knew it was wrong most of the time. Like, I don't think of those sins, but it's not just those. It's even today, present tense. Lord, my transgressions, these, these current struggles and failures in my life, Lord, don't remember those. When he says, Lord, forget my sins, he's basically saying, don't hold them against me. He's saying, Lord, I, I need the mercy and the grace of forgiveness. And Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. He's not asking for anything that God hasn't already promised to do. I'm not going to remember your sins. I thought you can't forget things. I can't. It's a metaphor. I'm not going to hold them against you. When I look at you, I'm not going to look at the sins that you have committed or are committing. I'm going to see you as you are redeemed by my son. Or we can go back. Go back to Psalm 103. Remember verse 12? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's as far as it could possibly go, right? He takes our sins and he drops them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be seen again. Lord, don't. Don't remember my sins. Forget my sins. You see, David prays this prayer. Lord, don't look. Don't see the ugliness in me. I know you see it, but don't see it. He's saying this because faith, like real faith, is sensitive to sin. Like, I don't know a believer who doesn't recognize their corruption. They, they don't exist, right? Now, sometimes there are particular sins where we might be like a little indifferent to or we can get callous to, but, but faith, and certainly healthy faith, recognizes sin. It, it, it sees it. It's always before. It's like Psalm 51, my sin is ever before me. I mean, there's no excuses. And so we ask God to forget our sins because we can't. They're just there aren't they? The guilt is there. Now, as Christians, we understand that um, there's two kinds of guilt, right? 
There is the subjective guilt. You are guilty of having done something. But then there's this sense of guilt, right? There's this feeling. You can feel guilt. So you can be guilty and you can feel guilty. Hopefully, if you are guilty, you do feel guilty. But it's very possible that you are guilty and don't feel guilty. And it's also possible that you feel guilty when you aren't guilty at all. Faith sees sin, and so even though we know our guilt has been removed, God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. He has taken away our sin and our shame. God sees us different. We're going to talk about that. But we still know that we continue to sin, and it, it pains us to know that there is a corruption that remains. So the appeal, God, forget my sins, is asked because we can't forget. And so really, what we need to be encouraged to do is to hold tight, hold tight to the promise, the 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 surety of forgiveness. God forgives. You know, God has always related to his people in covenant. Always. Always will. He establishes parameters and the way things are going to go in relationships, and they all serve various purposes. But the covenants that you see throughout the Old Testament are pointing ahead to what we call the new covenant, right? It's what, it's what Scripture pointed to again and again, calling it this new covenant, this better covenant, And what will this new covenant be like? The new covenant that is established by Jesus Christ. It admits all who believe, regardless of where they're from. In Jeremiah 31, we have a beautiful picture of this new covenant that all the other covenants were pointing toward. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, right? Not just law written in stone for us all to read, but written on our hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, because I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. The old covenant sacrificial, sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed on the regular to be a picture of both our need and God's provision, our need to have our sins expiated and removed, God's justice to be satisfied. We had a picture in those sacrifices. But in the new covenant, we have Jesus who died for sinners, who actually takes away sin and guilt, that actually obtained redemption for all who believe. That, that is the need. God, forget my sins or forgive my sins. See, God, isn't, God doesn't just overlook sins. Like, we can do that with our, with our friends sometimes, your buddy. Like, oh, okay, that was, that was dumb. We don't need to talk about it. That was a dumb thing you did. It was a bad thing. We'll just move on. Sometimes we need to address it, right? God doesn't overlook it. He forgives it. And he forgives it by means of the work, the sacrificial work of Christ, his son. And what this really gets to, right, Lord, Forget my sin. What it really gets to is an issue of identity. Who is David before the face of God? Who are we? See, the single most defining truth about a Christian is that we are in Christ, right, joined to him spiritually, justified. Justification is the cardinal doctrine, right, the premier doctrine of of the gospel. 
And it simply means this. Paul talks about this a lot, that we are justified by faith, right? You could just say saved, but what does it mean? Justification has two parts. It means that once we believe in Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead for sinners, it means that we are forgiven of all of our sins, all of them, past, present, future, forgiven. And while Christ takes upon himself on the cross all of our sin and guilt, he gives to us all of his righteousness that we can stand before God, not just forgiven for what we have done, but right and holy in his sight, not because we have obeyed God's laws perfectly, but because his son has. We are justified. That's who you are if you're a Christian. That's what makes you who you are. And you are always that way. This is how God sees you. And that brings us to the third plea, right? The first is remember your mercy. The second is forget my sin. The third is remember me. That last part of verse seven, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. God thinks about you. It's pretty trippy if you think about it. Like if you actually meditate on that, God, the creator, the eternal God, thinks about you. Not you, plural, just kind of generically. He thinks about you, each of you. He has thoughts. I mean, there are some people, right, that you don't like to think about. I can think of some right now. I don't like thinking about those people. I push them out of my mind. Go away. Get behind me, Satan. Don't want to think about you. Don't like you very much. There are other people that you can't help but think about. Like, you're drawn to them. They're, maybe they're inspiring or they're encouraging or whatever it is, right? You're the people you just you, you love to think about. God thinks of you and doesn't stop thinking of you. He never forgets you. He always remembers you. He always has you in mind. This could be a scary thing, right? Serial killers always have people in mind. Not a good thing, right? They're, just because you're obsessive doesn't mean it's the kind of relationship that somebody wants. God always thinks about you, not because he's compelled by something in you, but because he chooses to love you. You are on his mind at all times, not to the exclusion of anyone else because he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's eternal, he's limitless. So what does God think? Well, God thinks about you. What does he think? Because this gets to it, right? What God thinks of you defines you, ultimately. So what is it? What are God's thoughts? I'm just going to give you a few. First of all, think about this. God delights in you. That sounds pretty good. God delights in me? Why? Why would God delight in me? I'm a mess. I'm a train wreck. I don't even look good on Sunday. <laughs> like, why, why, would God, why would God delight in me? I mean, think about it. Like, maybe, maybe you can think about, some of you can think about your, your fathers or your, your mothers in this way. Did they delight in you? Some of them did, for sure. I never felt like my father delighted in me. He loved me. I knew that. He loved me. No doubt about that. I never got the idea that he delighted in me. Even if he did, cool. Like, I'm not hating on him or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, I never... But then to be assured that when God the Father thinks of you, Christian, he delights in you is 
something. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor in uh, the legs of man, right? So God doesn't take pleasure in our own individual strengths or abilities, our beauty, our achievements. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor is his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. He delights in those who believe, right? Not because your belief is so perfect, because that means that you are his and he is yours. What does God think about you? He delights in you. God has good plans for you. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now I know some Bible students are going to look at that and go, well, technically, that's for Israel in the Old Covenant. It doesn't apply to believers today. Okay, sit down, be quiet, all right? Um, it does apply to everyone today. Every believer applies to. And here's why. The Old Covenant promises, of course, do not apply to all Christians today. The Old Covenant taught, hey, if you do really good and obey, life is going to be good for you, okay? Uh, nations will stay away. Israel will flourish as a nation if you do right. If you do badly, it's going to go badly, which it did because it always does. But the principle behind this is very much true. God does have plans for his people. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, Romans 8 tells us. God has a plan for us. It's not evil. It is good. God has a future for us. God has hope for us. He is the God of hope. God has plans for you. They're not easy, but they are good. How does God think about us? God cares about the things that you do, even the things I don't care about that you do. God cares about all of them. God is invested, right? He's paying attention to all things. You know, Psalm 139.2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows everything about you. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He's paying attention. He's paying attention. He cares. Psalm 139 again, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance, meaning God was thinking about you before you existed. Before you were born, God had you in mind, you with your personality and your quirks and your annoying tendencies and your strengths and your beauties, all of it. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them, meaning God has mapped out your life, your days, the beginning and the end, he thinks about you. He thinks about the details. How does God think about you? He values you. Does that sound too man-centered? Does God value his people? Listen to Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, God is a God of detail. He's a God of providence. And he knows and is involved in even the dropping of sparrows from the sky. And he says, not a hair from your head, or in my case, a hair from my face, will fall apart from God's plan. Because he cares we are more valuable than birds. God thinks of us. He plans for us. He has a future for us. 
What does God think of you? God wants to spend eternity with you. Jesus says in John 14, too, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. He wants us in his presence. He wants us to be close. He wants to have communion with us. Or Zephaniah. How does God think of you? Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's, God sings over you. That's pretty good. I've never been serenaded. Uh, that would be weird. I've never serenaded anyone either. Sounds, it's, I, I like it. I think the concept is cool. You sing to somebody, it's a, it's a blessing. It's a time of rejoicing. And this is God singing. We sing to him, right? You guys have been belting it out here today. It's been wonderful. Singing these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing to him, but it also says that God sings over us. That's how God thinks of you, Christian. See, all of this, what all of this tells us is that God thinks of us in the ways that he thinks of us because he loves us. And we'll close with one last verse, which will be Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that's tiring, boring, cliche to you, I want to caution you that that happens when we have distanced ourselves from the love of God, from the good news of the gospel. God demonstrates his love for us in a number of ways, every good gift that we receive, right? It's an aspect of God's fatherly love for his children, yes. But he ultimately, most dramatically, most clearly demonstrates his love for us while we were sinners. And he does this by sending his son, his son willingly sacrificing himself that he could bring us together. This is what God thinks of us. What God thinks of you defines you. And this is important when you're going through chaos, difficulty, trial, tribulation, whether it's self-induced or not, right? When you're going through the chaos of life and you're, you're, not, you're not really seeing God and you're kind of asking questions and you're not getting answers and so you're, it seems like God is being quiet and you're wondering, is, is, where is God? What is God doing? Did God forget me? Knowing our identity based on how God thinks about us, based on the work of Jesus, that secures us. It allows us to have confidence to approach God on his throne of grace with the eager expectation that he will give us the help that we need. Look, God doesn't forget you. You forget him. I forget him. You know, I, there's a lot going on, you know, like, uh, things in my face. You, know, you, you tend to focus on the things in your face, and you forget about God. But even when we forget about God, he'd ever, he doesn't retaliate. Oh, well, you forgot about me. I'm going to forget about you for a while. Like, you know, he doesn't do that. He's not petty. He's perfect. God doesn't forget you. He forgets your sin. God remembers you.
So in the midst of the chaos, be assured. What you are going through, you are not experiencing God's punishment. He's not punishing you. He is pursuing you. He is present. He loves you. He's offering you his mercy, his grace, and his help, and you can receive it. You can have it for free by lifting up your soul to him in faith. Every Christian has this promise. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, God is close. He is here, and he's offering you the grace and the mercy that he's offering everybody else. It must be received by faith. Lift up your souls to Christ and trust in him, and you will be helped. You'll be forgiven. You'll be reconciled to your maker. You'll be given purpose, even power. But he will give you help. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, teach us what we need to know today. That we would be assured that you do remember your mercy and you do indeed forget our sins and that you always remember us because you are the Lord. You are Yahweh. You are our, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in whom we have redemption and every spiritual blessing. I pray, Lord, that your grace would abound in our lives so that even if we are going through times of chaos, uh, that we would experience an abundance of your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.